we've been trying together to learn about this great gift that God has given in prayer, not so we have different ideas in our heads, but rather so we would learn to pray. Uh, this gift that God promises to listen when we speak is his gift to us to help every one of us grow. Wherever we are, we can grow in prayer. And uh, we've, we've covered a lot of issues. This morning, uh, we come to a challenging message. I am going to tell you that there are a lot of ideas. And so you're going to have to love God with your mind this morning. I'm going to share a lot, and I want you to stay with me as I do. Last week, we looked at a story in which a person made a specific request of God in prayer, and that request was granted. This morning, we're going to look at almost the opposite, a request that is made to God, a good thing which is asked for, and God's answer is no. And the reason we're going to look at this together is this complicated fact of life. If you're a person who's ever prayed and asked for something and then it didn't come, well, this has all the power to threaten your faith and to take it away altogether. And I don't want that. I want the opposite for your faith to be built up. Uh, listen to these words. When you are facing a complicated problem and searching for the solution, you will be tempted to direct all your attention to the question marks. Usually, resolution comes only when you take your eyes off what you don't know and direct them toward what you do know instead. If you do that, you will find a path through the problem. That was the advice that Ed Bechtel gave to me junior year in my first semester of physics in high school. Uh, you have a problem that you want to solve. You need to find the force that an object exerts. And you're a junior in high school. You have no idea how to find that. And so you start to look at the force and ask, what's the force? And Ed Bechtel says, you have to look away from the force. If you want to find out what the force is, you have to look instead at the mass of the object. And then you have to multiply the mass times the, someone help, acceleration. When you learned that in high school, you said, when will I ever need this information? And today, I gave you the answer. <laughs> it's so good that you learned that, right? Force is mass times acceleration. If you're trying to get the force, you have to look away from that thing you don't know. And it's just like that in life because you will find yourself in immensely complicated circumstances because you're alive. And you're a real person. And if you're a person of faith and you start to pray, thank God for that. I hope that you will have learned to pray simply to tell God very honestly and openly where you are. I hope that having learned together this summer, you've even been able to tell God when you're upset or frustrated, he can take it. I hope that you've learned to confess, that you've learned to be silent before God, to listen to him. But now, this morning, I hope that when you ask and the answer is no, that I can teach you, and this is what I want this morning, to take your eyes off of the many question marks which cannot be straightened out for looking at them, and instead, see with me what we can know. Because there's a lot that we can know about those moments where, please listen now, not where you ask for some ridiculous petty thing and of course it doesn't come, but those moments when you ask for the very good thing which God himself told you you should ask for and still it doesn't come. When you look at the war-torn world and you know the promises of the prophets which said one day those 
those weapons will be beat into agricultural instruments for good and you say, God, please bring peace and it still doesn't come, what then? Or when you look at your family which is wrecked by addiction and you ask God for deliverance because God promises to give that and it doesn't come, what then? Or when there's an illness and you ask for healing and it gets worse and then there's a funeral. Or any one of the many ways that you have asked for the thing that God himself says you should ask for and yet it doesn't come. Well, what do we do then? Well, what we do then is we take our eyes off those questions that we can't answer now or maybe never will be and we look at what we can know. And the way we're gonna do that this morning is by looking at a story in the Bible and one of the things that's such a gift when it comes to scripture is that it doesn't hide the fact that sometimes good people ask for the right things and it still doesn't come. The psalmist repeats over and over again, God, how long will I cry out and you won't answer? Uh, the prophets say, when will I finally get an answer from God? I call out all day and night and there's nothing but silence. Uh, Paul, one of the apostles who wrote a good deal of the New Testament, asked God for something over and over again, didn't come. Why? Jesus himself asked the Father for something, and the answer was no. And, and since that's one of the most challenging, that's where we're going to go together. In all the Gospels that record Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get to see what it looks like when someone asks for something and God says no. And we're going to look at it to see what we can learn together. Uh, we're going to look at it in Mark, in, in Mark 14. Uh, Jesus has just finished the last supper with his friends, the last meal. They leave that behind and they go off into the night. And what we're going to see is one moment where we get to overhear Jesus' prayer word for word. Here's how this scene is narrated in verse 32 of chapter 14 of Mark. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. Jesus has taken his friends after this meal to the Garden of Gethsemane. That means he left the city of Jerusalem. He crossed over a small stream and then began to make his way up a dark hillside toward a grove of olive trees. This place, Gethsemane, was where Jesus used to go to pray. He went there often with his friends and also by himself to do the very thing that he taught his friends to do, which is when life is challenging, when you want something, when you need to practice communion with the Heavenly Father, go off by yourself and pray. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, this night, he comes to the edge of the garden and he turns to all of his friends and he says, you stay here because I'm going to go further in. And he is stressed and agitated. And he's stressed and agitated because of what's coming in life for him. He turns to Peter, James, and John. They're three of his closest companions. He says, you come with me. And they go into the center. It continues. This is verse 34. And he said to them, that is Jesus turns to these three and says to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. Now that he's come to this place, he tells them honestly how bad it is for them, or excuse me, for him. And I know as your pastor how bad it is for some of you because I've, I've sat with you in the hospital. I've prayed with you. 
I've listened to the challenges that you face. I know that some of you cry out for good things, not bad things, but very good things from God. And here in this moment is Jesus' moment where it's really hard. He's agitated even unto death. And so he tells them, I'm now going to go even without you further on to pray. Watch what happens there where Jesus now is, is by himself in the presence of God the Father. This is verse 35. And going a little farther on, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This is no show or not an act. This is sincere and grave pleading from Jesus to the Father. He throws himself on the ground. The posture is meant to capture the desperation of this particular moment for Jesus, that life has come to the place where all he can do is leave everything behind except for the one thing that he still has, which is the ability to cry out to his Father in heaven. Now, if you're very attentive and you know a lot about Christian doctrine, already there are some question marks that are coming, and I know that makes sense. Let's leave those question marks behind for a moment and look at just this one. Here we're going to see Jesus asking his heavenly father for something very specific. And it's sincere and it's in earnest. And if you know the rest of the story, it's repeated. He does it once and then twice. And then the third time, this lasts for hours. But look with me at the specific nature of his request. This is verse 36. He said, Abba, Father, Abba is the most familiar way in which one person can address another. It's like a, a, a child saying to uh, his or her father, Daddy, Father, for you, all things are possible. Jesus acknowledges that the one to whom he prays is able to do absolutely anything that could be asked for. And then he says, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. This prayer request, which is what it is, is, is particular and specific. That phrase, remove this cup from me, that plays upon an image that God's people would have known about for generations, the image of the cup of God's judgment. The prophets in generations earlier had spoken about God's horror and disdain for human wickedness. Have you ever listened to one of those news stories where someone with power abuses it to harm someone who's weak and innocent and fragile and felt a righteous indignation inside of you that just feels like pure anger, which is holy? Have you ever felt that? The way the prophets talk about God for generations before Jesus is that every injustice that happens in the world causes that kind of reaction in God the Father. And not just for his own, but for all people who've ever been made, for the orphan and for the widow, the God to whom Jesus prays cares for everyone, more than we could ever imagine. And so every human hurt and harm is stored up in God's heart and causes a kind of righteous anger that is pure and perfect. And in the prophets, in the prophets, there was a promise that came. One day God will pour out his judgment against human wickedness and it will be like a cup which is delivered with a dark and strong drink in it and the person who receives the judgment will have to drink the cup all the way to the bottom. And in this moment, and this is the heart of what Christians believe about who God is, Jesus, who is God with us, and this is complicated, is there in the garden ready to receive the judgment of God against every act of human unkindness 
small and great, and absorb it into his own life by drinking that cup to the very bottom. And Jesus knows that's what's going to happen if he has to go to the cross. And in this moment, he's pleading with the Father for another way. He is sincerely saying, I do not want to walk down that road. Please make another way. Don't make it so I have to drink this judgment down. What is the thing that you have been asking God to make otherwise that is like a cup that you don't want to have to drink, but you think maybe you will? Or what's the path that you have started on and you're just saying to God, please don't make me have to walk down it anymore? And listen, gosh, there, there's not a more dramatic scene than this one in which Jesus is praying like that. And, and I have to tell you, because I'm your pastor, I know that some of you face grief and anguish and terror even that feels maybe just as heavy as that. Three or four times this week, I sat with people who are facing things that feel that heavy. I'm talking about a debilitating illness that's robbing the life of a man so that he can't be the father and the husband that you would be sure God would want him to be. Or a young mother and father who are not planning for the further growth of their child but a funeral. And many other things beside, whether it's that or for you it feels relatively small compared to that, but still, it's something that you're asking God to change. And now, I don't mean just petty small things, but I mean the things that you would believe God would want you to have go differently for you. Whatever those are, would you let them come into your mind for a moment? Whatever you believe about God, and please hear this, with that thought in mind, I want you to understand that this story, if nothing else, it teaches us that Christians believe that Jesus Christ himself knows what it's like to be in a place like that, to ask for another way, and have to face a divine denial nonetheless. Because shortly after this, Jesus dies on the cross. And what that means, if nothing else, is that if you yourself have to face that divine no, Jesus has the experience himself of going through something like that so he can be with you to encourage you if you have to face that too. Would you take that into your heart right now and consider that might be a moment of encouragement for you? Thank you. That was a prayer request? Granted, I just prayed. God, I... <laughs> that can encourage. If you don't need that encouragement and someone else does, Tuck that away into your memory and when that person who would never come to church is opening up, you share that with them. You know what Christians believe that Jesus himself went through having to have a no come to him and he lived through it so that he can provide support from the inside when you face that. That's encouragement, isn't it? But can I acknowledge something else? It still leaves a lot of unanswered questions, doesn't it? Of course it does and I'm going to admit that it leaves a lot of them because Here's the, the most basic way to put it. If, if God would tell me this is a good thing that I have for you and I ask for it over and over again because he says I should want this but it doesn't come, well then you have an awful lot of question marks, don't you? Yes? But here I'm going to teach you to take your eyes off of the question marks you can't straighten out by looking at them to see what you can know 
so that you have a way forward, so that, and these are the three things, either I can encourage you this morning to keep going if you're at your wit's end, or so you can learn something this morning that you haven't yet seen, so that, here's the third thing, you can help the people who wouldn't come to church when it comes to their moments like this, because what the world needs is Christians who are growing to know Jesus and following him so that they can go out and show what he's like to other people. So what I'm going to do here on the side is put up some potential explanations for why you might be getting a no, like Jesus got a no. And I want to start with some of the most common answers that are given, which we can cross off if we let this story teach us about what is behind God's no when someone who is good asks for something and it doesn't come to them. Let's get right into it. Here's the first potential explanation. We're going to put it up there and cross it off pretty quick. You didn't get what you wanted because you used the wrong formula. Uh, some people who are just starting off in faith, having only seen what happens in strange church gatherings, will believe that the way it works with prayer is you have to get the words just right. And if you don't, then of course you're not going to get what you asked for, kind of like the genie whose lamp has to be rubbed in just the right way in order to make it work. Do you know what I'm saying? And I've prayed with people who've prayed out loud for the first time and, and they've said, I don't know how to do it. And I said, go for it, you can do it. And they pray and at the end they look at me and they say, the end, is that right? And of course, maybe not, <laughs> right? But, but no, if there were a formula, Jesus would have known it. And he asked sincerely and didn't get a yes. And so he can cross it off. Uh, God doesn't work like that. You don't need the right formula. Okay, let's go on to a second potential explanation. Uh, this one has some truth in it, and so it's important to stay on it for a bit. It also, deep down, isn't the answer. But here's a second explanation for why you didn't get what you asked for. It's because you are a bad person. Uh, you didn't receive what you asked for because you're not good enough. Uh, God won't listen to you because there's some hidden sin that made him reject your request. Now here we need to pause because there's some truth in the line of reasoning that uh, this represents the wrong end of. Because the truth about you is if you are living in active rebellion against God, you're running away from him right now, and you keep running and turn to him and ask for something and then turn around and keep running away, you shouldn't expect to receive it from him. That makes sense, doesn't it? In the book of Psalms, we hear over and over again that God's ears are open to the righteous, but he closes his ear to the wicked. In Proverbs, we read that if we would ignore the cries of the poor, God will close his ears to us when we pray to him. In the book of Isaiah, we learn that God's uh, got a barrier between him and his people because of their sins. He doesn't hear when they pray. There are plenty of moments in the scripture which imply that those people who are actively running from God, who are disobedient on purpose, shouldn't expect to have his ear when they pray. But on the other hand, we have a lesson from Jesus that says if any sinner who is 100% sinner through and through simply says to God, have mercy on me, a sinner, that that person can be assured that God will hear and have grace and forgive them. Which means you have to cross that off. If you are seeking to walk in the way that God has invited you to walk in the best you know, 
and you've been asking for something good and it's not coming and there's a voice in your head that says it's because you're a bad person, think back to the garden. Here, Jesus is the very best person who's ever lived and he brings his request to the Father and the answer is no. So it cannot be true that the, the reason for the denial is that there's some secret hidden sin. That must be why. You can take that one away. God's no does not mean that you are a bad person. Here's a third possible explanation you didn't get what you asked for because you don't have enough faith. I remember as a kid hearing that passage where Jesus says, if you have faith that's the size of a mustard seed, you can go say to that mountain, move, and what will happen? It'll move. And I went home and, 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 and I thought, how, how does that work? Because I wanted to bend spoons with my mind. And then I heard in the book of James that it says, if you lack faith, ask for it, but don't doubt because the man who doubts shouldn't hope to get it. And so then I began to put this together in my mind as many religious people have done and even some religious communities now will teach this emphatically. The key in getting what you ask for is having enough faith and by that they mean believing that you will actually get what you ask for. If it doesn't come, it's because you didn't believe it well enough. And so I tried to bend those spoons and I believed that they would bend and they never did. And listen, the problem there is this explanation cannot be true. It is of course true that you should ask in faith, but that does not mean convinced that what you're going to ask for comes. Because if anyone has more faith than any other person, it would be Jesus. And again, it didn't come. So you can cross that one off too. Listen, the faith when you ask that you're meant to have is not in your request, but in God's goodness. Do you hear that? Of course you don't have enough faith. Nobody is saved because of the amount of faith which they personally drum up. It is the faithfulness of Jesus to go into the garden to tell the truth in his prayer and then to trust that even if the answer is not what he wants, he'll accept the answer that the Father gives. And that faithfulness is what is given to us so that we ourselves can live and that, oh gosh, I've just opened up a whole bunch of other questions. But here's a, th a fourth possible explanation. It's this one, that you didn't get what you asked for because you asked for the wrong thing. And the truth about this moment where Jesus is praying in the garden is the reason that God the Father said no to Jesus' request for the cup to pass from him is in fact Jesus asked for the wrong thing. Because what God wanted is for the cup to be uh, drunk down all the way by Jesus. In Jesus, God himself drinks it all the way down. And so what he requests is the wrong kind of request. And that's why God says no in this moment to Jesus. Now, listen, this is where you really need to have your, your thinking cap on. Sometimes the denial of your request comes down to the fact that you asked for the wrong thing. You asked for the opposite of what God wanted. But listen now, because if we take that explanation to every time we pray for something and it doesn't come, what ends up happening is we turn God into a monster who is not God. Th this, this takes thought. Listen, sometimes you ask for something good which you want and which God also wants. But still it does not come to you. Not because God does not want you to have it, 
But because the world is so utterly broken and God's fix is still down the road a bit. And so there are many things that are going to happen today and tomorrow which are not happening because God wants them to happen but because the world is such a wreck. And I can't tell you why. This is too much of a question mark. Why would God allow that to still happen? I can't answer that. But I can emphatically answer this. Is everything that happening, that's happening happening because God wants it to? No. I know that for sure. We know that there are faithful people who are pleading to God in prayer for the very things that God has told them to ask for because they are God's will, but they're not changing and they're still going on just as they are. Do you know that God wants peace and not war? And tomorrow some fool is going to blow someone up and that's not God's will. And someone is going to say, please protect our children and more are going to die. Not because God wants them dead. That's not how God works. And I know that raises other questions, but remember my physics teacher. God, if he knew I was preaching about him now, he would be <laughs> scandalized. I think he was an atheist. He was a nice atheist, but... <laughs> Follow this. Scripture teaches that God is not willing that anyone should perish. That God wants every person to be saved. That's what God wants. And here a mom believing that thinks of her son who doesn't believe and doesn't have faith. And so she prays that God will bring that son to faith. Why? Because God said that's what God wants, but he doesn't come to faith. Why? Every time Jesus encountered disease, he hated it and he fixed it because God doesn't want that. When Adam and Eve turned away from God, then disease came in. But here we roll along in a world with crazy disease. Why? Is it because God wants that? Cross it off. Sometimes you're not getting what you want because you're asking for the wrong thing, but sometimes we ask for the right things which God wants, but still our requests don't result in the outcome that we wish we had. She prays for relief from anxiety. It gets worse. He asks for deliverance from addiction, which God also wants, but the chains remain. They pray for healing, but instead it's a funeral they have to plan. Why? Why did she die? Why doesn't he recover already? Why am I still afraid? Why all this suffering, this grief? Why? Here is a great web of question marks. And so what we need to do is to take our eyes off the questions which we can't answer and we can't know and look instead at what we can know. And so take these away. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers for specific reasons. And I'm going to give you four. A disclaimer before we look at them. It's simply not true that any one of these is like a mathematical certainty or equation that can be lifted and applied to each and every circumstance. That's not how God works. But I want you to think of whatever it is you've been praying about. It's your children, your daughters, or your parents who are aging, or the career that still is always four steps ahead of you, or whatever it is. And I'm asking you to be mature here. And I, I promise, not, not all of these apply to whatever your situation is, but I think these might help. And that's what I want. I want to help you. Here's number one. This is one of the reasons why God sometimes does not answer questions, excuse me, our requests. It's because sometimes God says no because you're asking for him to do for you what he wants you to do for yourself. God says no because it's your job, not his. God made us so we can think and act 
and work, and he will not absolve us of our responsibilities for faithful work through prayer. God does not allow us to use prayer instead of the will and the power of thought that he has given to us. Think of a father whose son comes to him on Saturday afternoon and he says, Dad, do my math homework for me. I want to go out and play with my friends. Now, the dad wants his son to have a good time and go out and play, and the dad could do the work, but he says no because it's not good for the son, for the dad to do the work for him. And so he says no to that request. And our prayers are often like that. Not all of them. Some things you've been asking for that didn't come are nothing like that, but some of them are. I'm going to give you an example. There's a lonely person who comes to church and you feel bad for them. And so you've been praying to God to, to deliver them from their loneliness. And, and next week you see they're alone again. And so you pray even harder. And the week after they're still alone, but you've never invited them over to your house God will not solve that problem if you're not willing to be a part of it or you're lonely and you've been praying for help, but you need to step out of the little bubble that you've built around yourself and take a risk with all of these great people who are here. Let's say even 10% of you are rotten and it's the other 90%. That's a lot of options. <laughs> we cannot expect God to answer the prayer if we've not considered that maybe we should be the one who's a part of the answer. Sometimes that's why God says no. Not every time, but sometimes. Here's a second possibility. Sometimes, and this one's tricky, God denies the form of your request in order to grant you the substance of it. Uh, that is, you've made the right request, but you've got the wrong strategy. Uh, this is a true story. A, a, a woman and her husband, they live in North Africa. She's a Christian, he's not. They have a son who's brilliant. He's the smartest kid that anyone's ever met in that region. He becomes a philosopher as a young kid. He attracts all of the attention of the scholars in that part of North Africa. And he decides, in order to continue learning, I need to go off to Italy where the real thinking is happening. And he tells his mom, and she's desperate for him not to leave because what she wants more than anything else is for him to become a Christian. And so she starts pleading with God, don't let my son leave. Please, don't let him go away from Africa. And she prays day and night. She pours her heart out. It is a Gethsemane-style prayer. She throws herself prostrate before God the Father. Do not let my son leave and he leaves as a young adult. No faith, he goes off to Italy. And there he starts rubbing shoulders with the best philosophers of the day. He meets a man called Ambrose. And it turns out that not only is Ambrose a great philosopher, he's also a sincere Christian. And then this man comes to faith and becomes one of the most influential Christian thinkers to date in the world. His name was Augustine. And if God had granted the way that his mom strategized it should happen, it wouldn't have happened. And so sometimes God denies the form of your request to give you the substance of it. You've got the right end in mind, but you've been thinking that the first step toward what I want is this one, and it's not that one. And so maybe that's a reason that God is saying no. Uh, maybe you are that lonely guy and you meet that Mrs. Wright. You say, God, please give her to me. And she spurns you and she goes away. And you think, God, why are you so awful? You could have solved my problems with her. But what you don't know is she's the worst person ever. <laughs> and God knew it. And maybe that also could be an explanation. Listen, maybe not for you, but maybe. Here's the third one. Sometimes God denies your request because no is better for you. Uh, that last example could be a perfect a picture of that. 
And sometimes you want this thing, but what you don't know is it's worse for you, and you ask and you ask, and you're angry at God for not giving it. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he explained once that he had a thorn in his flesh and that he pled with God to take it away. We don't know exactly what that is, which I think is good. It could have been any ongoing infirmity that caused him discomfort and pain, made life a lot harder, and he couldn't get away from it. Whatever you have like that, Paul had that, and he pled with God to take it away. And what he said is God said no and added, my grace is sufficient for you. And that means for Paul, it was more important to have that ongoing pain than to have it removed so that he could learn about the sufficiency of God's grace. And the only way for him to learn that was to have this persistent no. I do not believe God takes any value in discomfort in itself, but sometimes the no enables us to learn and to grow and expand in a way that we need and cannot in any other way. In Paul's case, not only was it good for him to learn that God's grace is sufficient, but you know it was also good for us. Maybe if Paul never learned that, he wouldn't have been as explosive an evangelist as he was. And so in God's providence, not only was his no good for Paul, but it turned out to be good for the world as a whole. And that's the fourth explanation which, which gives light into why sometimes God says no. God says no sometimes because it's better for the world. And that was true for sure in Paul's case. And maybe true in your case. But in the case of Jesus in the garden, uh, this is the most profound example of this that ever could be. God's no to Jesus, uh, Jesus' request to go some other way other than the cross, was the most profound gift that could ever have been given to the entire world of men and women. Uh, the way that Paul puts it, the love of Christ urges us on that since one died for all, therefore all have died. Our death, the death of the old you, the miserable sinner you that runs away from God was accomplished on Calvary there. And Paul goes on to say, and he died for all so that those who live, and that's us, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. And that means that God's no to Jesus was God's yes to every man and every woman who could ever live. Thank God that, he, that in that moment Jesus' request was denied and that is good. And sometimes it is true that we will have to bear a no for the sake of the world. Now, saying all of this, let me come back to this side and say for a moment that maybe none of these helps you at all where you are. I hope that it helps some of you. But I know that some of you have come in this morning with questions which will not be made any easier by these four. I admit it. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stay with me for a moment at the cross where Jesus goes because the reply from God the Father was no, and I want you to trust this. That was the beginning of God's solution to fix every problem, every question mark, every misery and heartbreak and grief that his people will sometimes have to live through even though God wants it to be otherwise. Between the resurrection, which is Jesus' conquering of the grave, which happened behind us, and the day when Jesus returns, which is ahead of us still. And the promise that the Bible gives, which is trustworthy, 
is that if you have to walk through God's consistent no, even though it's something good that you're asking for, that you would want to have happen and that God himself would want to have happen because the world is not yet fully healed in the way it will be when Jesus returns. Between now and then, you have a promise that he will abide with you as your companion to carry you through those question marks until the day, and this is the vision at the very end of the Bible for what will it be like when Jesus returns, when God himself reaches out his hand and wipes every tear away from every eye and brings his divine comfort in person. No more talks or sermons or inspiring moments. No more need for prayer even because you'll be there right there face to face with his healing and beloved presence and then you'll be welcomed into what will be the greatest feast that any poet could ever describe where there's everything you need and all pain is gone and all suffering is forever a memory. Every broken thing is healed and every good thing which you loved and lost in this life is restored to you so that you can enjoy it perpetually forever in the presence of God and all his people who have been redeemed. And then the weight of every tear and grief will feel like nothing at all compared to the glory that goes on forever. And that's trustworthy. And when you're tangled up in that web of questions, look forward to that. And there'll be a day, and here has you, here's how you get there. there. There'll be a day when all you need to do is look at yourself and say, I don't have what it takes. And what I want is the sustaining power of God to carry me between now and then. I need the gift of Jesus' death for me to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to set me on my feet, and I need his gracious hands to carry me between now and then. I am yours, God. I want to be your disciple. I want to walk with you from now until the end, and then we can celebrate that together. And I will not be crying anymore then. No need for, you know, emergency hankies. Uh, just celebration uh, forever. I want these indications, these sign markers that I give you to point you toward the way of continued prayer. That's what I want. So keep praying. Uh, let's, let's do that now. Let's join our hearts in prayer. God, for the gift of being with each other on this very challenging and difficult subject, we give you thanks. And uh, we praise you that you have room for our question marks, that you don't push us away when we have more doubt than confidence. And we thank you that we can pray even when we want something very desperately and it's not going to come. God, I ask very simply that the explanations that maybe do need to be set aside would be more firmly taken off the table for the time we've spent together. And then I ask that uh, the thought that has been stimulated as we've considered why you do say no sometimes would be a help to the people who you've gathered together into this place in Renaissance Church. God, I also ask that those of us who have learned today something good for us would also be good stewards of that, that we would know to share it with others and that you would use us to help bring more light where there's darkness. God, we love you. And we thank you for the gift of this time in Jesus' name, amen.